0: Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near well for the last couple of years i think all of us got introduced to a platform that we beforehand, we're probably not very familiar with, but now we're all experts and that's Zoom, right? Everyone probably the last couple of years has been on at least one Zoom call, whether it is a like child or a retiree or anywhere in between, whatever it may be, we've all been on Zoom at one point or another in the last couple of years. And maybe you have uh, learned how to use Zoom, maybe you knew how to use it, but we've probably all had a couple calls that where something has gone wrong on Zoom, right? You've probably that dreaded mute button that somebody forgets to turn off or turn on and it just gets awkward, or somebody showed up to a meeting thinking the only only the upper half of their body was gonna be on camera and then they forgot. Right? Or maybe somebody made some sort of bathroom error. There's all these stories online now of zoom fails. One of my favorites is a, a, a virtual courtroom where an attorney uh, turned on a cat filter where his face was a cat and the mouth was moving like it was a, just a giant cat on the screen and he could not figure how to turn it off. And it's hilarious. And he's pro- he's an older attorney and you can just hear it in his voice. He's like, ah, uh, guys, I, I promise I am not a cat. I don't know how to turn this filter off. It's hilarious. You can look it up later. But um, we have all been on Zoom for the last couple of years. And the reason for that, obviously, is the pandemic. And In 2020, millions of people across the world, probably tens of millions, stopped going to the office for work and started doing Zoom calls from home, not because we wanted to, but because we had to. And we got used to it, and we figured it out. And ironically, what has happened is some have now so enjoyed it that they'd rather quit their job than go back to the office, right? Some ironically, people that didn't want to do it at first now like it so much that they say, I- I'd rather just do this full time now. In the same vein, in 2020, millions of people stopped gathering with the church and started doing online church, virtual church, live streaming, not because we particularly wanted to, but because we had to but similarly and ironically, even those that maybe didn't want to at first, now say, well, hey, I like it better. I'd rather just do this full time than go back in person and deal with the people and the parking and the marathon traffic and the people that are weird and the awkward moments, and it's much easier from home where I wake up when I want to, I grab my coffee, I sit on my couch, I do church on my time when I want to. By myself, it's clean, easy, and convenient. Well, the author of the book of Hebrews knew that it would be the habit of some for one reason or another to neglect gathering together as the church. For many different reasons. Some are legitimate reasons. Sometimes there are legitimate reasons to which someone cannot gather with the church. Maybe there is sickness. Maybe... There is travel. Maybe there is some sort of extenuating circumstance that prevents someone from gathering. But the author of Hebrews knew that it would be the habit of some to simply choose to neglect gathering together as the church. Maybe it would be out of laziness. Maybe it would be out of apathy. Maybe it would be out of disgust with the people that would be there. Maybe it would be simply a dissatisfaction with what I experience when I do gather with the church. For this time in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, the audience, the context and he's writing into, the reason for not gathering was persecution. There was a fear of associating with the church. That would come at a cost culturally. Christians were being persecuted for being Christians, for being followers of Jesus. And so to gather as the church came with inherent risk. It came with saying, I am associated with the people of Jesus. It was honestly easier for some to just not gather. They would say something like, I can't afford to risk my life in order to assemble. I can't afford to risk my reputation in order to assemble. And the author of this book replies essentially to say, Jesus has laid down his life that you may be a part of the gathering of the church. Essentially to say this, honestly, you can't afford not to gather with the church regularly and often. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying here in chapter 10. So the question is, well, what's the big deal with gathering as a church? What is the big deal with what we are literally doing right now in this place? What is the point of gathering? Does it matter? Can we just eject on all of it and say, I'll watch it on YouTube? What is the purpose and the point of gathering as a church? Well, we've been, we started last week and we're going to be continuing the next few weeks talking about the church and what the Bible says about the church. And we, we put forth this definition last week of a local church. I want to revisit it again this morning. A definition of a local church is this, a group of Christians that are committed to each other And gather regularly, there you go, gather regularly in Jesus' name for the preaching of God's word and the celebration of baptism and communion under the guidance of qualified leaders. We're going to be working our way through this definition in the next few weeks. And this morning we're going to talk about this concept, this idea of gathering as a church on Sunday. When we read church in our Bibles, it's a translation of a word, That is a little bit different than what we think when we hear the word church. If I say the word to you this morning, if I had everyone close their eyes and I just, we do like a word association where I say church, I would imagine every single person in this room, one of the first things you think of is a building, right? We've come to associate the word church with a place, brick and mortar, a building, probably a certain kind of building that looks like a church and doesn't just look like a warehouse or a space in a shopping center, but some sort of place with character and stained glass windows and a cross above everything and a steeple and pews. We think of a kind of building. Or maybe you think of leadership. You think of maybe some kind of hierarchy when you hear the word church. You think leaders and pastors and bishops and priests or whatever it may be. But in biblical times, when Jesus chose to use the word church, it did not come with those ideas and those concepts. People were not thinking that when they heard the word that Jesus used. So we gotta stop and ask ourselves, well, what word did Jesus use? When Jesus chose to pick a word to describe his people who would gather together and represent him in Jesus' name, what is the word that he chose? We talked about this last week. He chose a Greek word, ekklesia. Ekklesia, which means the assembly. That's probably the best description of what this word is. It is literally the assembly, the gathering. Our English word church translates that word. It says we see this word ekklesia in the New Testament. We translate it as church, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But we need to recognize that when we say church, it comes with all these ideas that would not have been present in the minds of people when they heard the word ekklesia. Ekklesia means assembly. In fact, it was primarily a word that came with not religious meaning, but political meaning. It was a word that referred to the citizens of a city that would gather regularly and officially to make decisions as a people. It was a political word. In Matthew chapter 16, we're introduced to this word for the very first time. You may be familiar with this story. It's when Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? Or who do people say that I am? And then Jesus asks his disciples, okay, that's nice what other people say. Who do you say that I am? And it's where Peter confesses Jesus to be the Christ. And Jesus says, that's right, Peter. On this rock, meaning on this confession of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I will build my ecclesia. Up until this point, Jesus has been talking all about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. Therefore, repent and believe. The kingdom of God is is coming. I I, I have a kingdom that's not of this world. He talks about kingdom all the time. And in order to establish this kingdom, he says, on this confession of me as Savior, I will build my ecclesia. I will build my assembly. We translate church, but assembly. So why would Jesus choose this word? we would think that Jesus would have chosen a word that was a little bit more religious. If Jesus is gonna describe and introduce to us the idea of the church, we would imagine he would choose something like people, like a word that means like, I'm gonna build my people or I'm gonna build my body or I'm gonna build my family or, or whatever, something like my synagogue or something that communicates religious people, but instead he uses a political word. I'm going to build my assembly. Why does he do that? Well, what does the word mean? will help us determine why he chose that word. The word assembly is a word that necessitates gathering together. Last week we said that the church is the people of God, right? We emphasized that. That the church is not a place, it's not a building, it's not a structure of leadership. That fundamentally the church is a people and it's become... Kind of a common thing to say and remind one another, hey, the church is a people, not a place. And yes, it is true. But it's probably more accurate to say something like this, that the church is a people that gather in a place. That in order to be an assembly, it necessitates actually assembling together in real space, in real time, in a place. So yes, the church is the people, but the church can only be the assembly when it gathers in a place. If it never never gathers, it cannot be a gathering. If it never assembles, it cannot be an assembly. It's a word that communicates inherently these people assemble together regularly. So it's more accurate to say the church is a people that gathers in a place. If you had looked at someone in this time, and you had asked them the question, the ecclesia is a people, not a place, right? If you were to ask somebody that, you would get a very strange look in return. If you were saying the church, the, the assembly, that, that's just that's a people, it's not a place, right? You would get a very strange look back at you, and somebody might say something like this, well, the, the people are the people, and in order to be an assembly, they have to assemble in a place. So, why are you pitting place and people against each other? In order to be an assembly, it's actually both. They are a people in a place. We see this all throughout the scripture as I pulled just a couple of verses for you to see in the New Testament when it references church. We have a couple of slides here. Acts 14, the first one. And when they arrived and gathered the assembly together, Okay, that's the word church. They gathered the church together. Why? Because that's what the church is. It, it assembles together. Or again, in 1 Corinthians 11, for in the first place, when you come together as an assembly, I hear that there are divisions among you. It's using this church in reference to the gathered people of God. Or there's a couple more. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the assembly, the apostles and the elders. Or again in Acts 15, it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole assembly to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. In all of these examples and in tons more, it is assuming not just the people, but a people that are gathered together in a place. You see that? It's assuming that. In order for something to seem good to the whole assembly, The idea is that, well, the whole assembly is there, therefore we can know it seems good to the assembly because the assembly is assembled. The ecclesia or the church, by definition, is a people that gather in a space in person. So then the question, I think, is, well, then why? What is the point? Why would Jesus set the church up to be this way? Why do we gather? Why do we do it? I'm gonna look at three main reasons this morning. The first one is this. The reason why the church gathers is because Jesus is the king. Because Jesus is supreme. That's primarily why we gather as the church. It's not because we think this is cool. It's not because we just like each other so much that we wanna hang out more. It's not because the donuts are great uh, or Aaron's got a great voice and so you wanna hear him sing more. Uh, Those aren't the primary reasons why we gather. We gather first and foremost primarily because Jesus is king and he's our king. Like Aaron read in Colossians 1 this morning. Let's revisit that briefly. Colossians chapter 1 says this about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation, meaning he is He is above all. It's not saying that Jesus was was the first piece of creation. It is saying he is above all. It is his hierarchy. It is his status as above all creation. And by him, all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the ecclesia, the assembly. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus is preeminent. He is supreme. He is our king who has come to shed his blood, to reconcile us back to himself, into his family, into a people. And in fact, the reason why we gather, if we just look a couple of verses ahead in Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 19, look at what this says. Before he gets to saying, let us not neglect meeting together, he says this, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, meaning, therefore, since we have confidence to access God the Father by the blood of Jesus, not through means of anything else, not through means of any other person, any other religious leader, any other prayers, any other systems, we access God the Father simply through the blood of Jesus, Because of that, let us not neglect gathering together. He's saying, if we trace it backwards, why do we not neglect to gather together as the assembly? Well, fundamentally, because Jesus Christ lived and died for us. He saved us. He shed his blood on the cross that we might have access to God, not simply as individuals, but as his gathered body. It means this, what we're doing here this morning, gathering, is about Jesus. That's why we're doing what we're doing. It is the reason why we're here. It's the purpose of for why we're here. It's the content of what we focus on while we are here. It's all about Jesus. Is the reason why it's a Sunday, the Lord's Day, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. The church, from that moment on, has gathered on a Sunday to say, this day is about Jesus. Of course, all the days are, but this is the day which we gather to focus and remember Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He is the head of the church. He's in charge. All of this that we do is about Jesus. It's not about Gospel City. It's not just about us as individuals. I got to come here and, and get what I need. What we do primarily when we gather here is all about Jesus, exalting him, remembering him. That's the main reason why we gather. The second reason why we gather is because it's who we are. According to the Bible, gathering is part of our identity as followers of Jesus. It might be helpful in this regard to think of the word church or the word ecclesia in the same way that we use the word team in our culture. I'm sure many of you have been on some kind of team before, but think about a a sports team. Now I've never been on a sports team that never gets together to play the sport. If I said to you that I was on the New York Yankees, uh, you would look at me strange. And the reason we, how you would know whether or not I'm on the New York Yankees is, well, you could go look at the roster and see that my name's not on there, but primarily you would say, well, Nick, you never, you never play when they play. How can you be on the team if you don't play when the team teams? When it does what a team does, when it goes to play the game, you aren't there, how can you be on the team, silly, right? This is how this word functions. A team that never plays together is not a team. That's like built into the definition of what a team is. If the team never plays together, it's not a team. A player that never comes to, be, to play with the team is not part of the team. The word team necessitates playing the game together. Much like this word, assembly necessitates coming together it's saying by giving us a word to describe what we are as the people of God, it says this is your identity. You are the assembly, which means if you, are to, if you are part of the assembly, but you never assemble with the assembly, you aren't part of the assembly. Or if a group of people says we are an assembly, but they never come together to assemble in a place, in time, they aren't an assembly. To bring that real practically, live streams were really nice for a period. But for a church, if a church were to say, hey, we are going to be an entirely live streamed online virtual church. Well, guess what? By definition, you are not a church. You don't assemble together. You don't gather. Therefore, you aren't one. That's not not Nick's opinion. That's the word Jesus uses. That's the word the New Testament uses over and over and over again. To say, if you are the church, by definition, your identity is a people that assemble together. We didn't choose to be a part of this assembly. Jesus did. He chose us. He chose through his blood to make us an assembly. It's who we are. And so, it becomes a part of our identity. We are a people that gather and Because we gather regularly, even when we are not gathered and we are outside of this time, we still remain the assembly. Another reason, third reason why we gather together as the church is to make the kingdom of Jesus visible. This is so important. It's the reason why we gather. One of them is to make the kingdom of God visible. Now, we recognize that Jesus is the reigning king overall, right? We just read that in Colossians, that he is above all and over all. All things exist for him, that in everything he might be preeminent. He reigns over all. His rule and reign extends forever and ever. He's the creator of all things. And primarily, he reigns over all and unites all Christians everywhere in an invisible way. We are united with brothers and sisters that follow Jesus all across the world through the invisible rule and reign of Christ what the local church gathering does is take that rule and reign of Jesus and make it visible and say, it's right here. So that someone could walk in and say, where is the kingdom of Jesus? And not just get an invisible answer, but get a real tangible one and say, it's right here. It's gathering right now in this place, the rule and reign of Jesus Christ over and through his people. Right now in this moment, we are making the kingdom rule of Jesus visible to one another and to the world. It makes it visible to each other to where we can sit in this room and we can look around at other members of the kingdom of God and recognize ourselves as the church. And it makes the kingdom of God visible to the world. world needs to see not just individual Christians. It needs to see a body. It needs to see a family. It needs to be able to see where is the kingdom of Jesus? Where is it? Is it just ethereal? Is it just an idea? What we do when we gather is we say, this is where Jesus reigns among these people. Here's what one author says describing this says, Jesus wanted to constitute the church as a kingdom. And so he chose a political word that necessarily comes with spatial meaning. Jesus wanted us to be a kingdom, so he chose a political word that has spatial meaning. His disciples would submit to him and they would submit to him together, visibly, in a place, as a testimony to Jesus' rule as if they were a landed kingdom like any other kingdom. And so in this regard, it might be helpful to think of the gathered church in the same way that you might think of an embassy of the United States in a foreign country. If you were to go to another foreign country, you were now on foreign soil. You still remain an American citizen, but you are no longer within the boundaries of your kingdom. You have rights that aren't good there because you're not in your kingdom anymore but on foreign soil, you can go step into a United States embassy and there you are within your kingdom. You are a citizen there, you have rights there. There is a rule and a reign that happens in that place that is different than when you step outside of it. In many ways, the gathered church is like that. It is the place where we can step into and enter visibly, and in real time and in real space and say, this is the kingdom of God. This is where Jesus reigns in and through and over his people. I hope you're seeing this morning that what we do when we gather is not just individuals in the same room, but it's something profound that was Jesus' idea. There's a few things too that happen when we gather as the church. The first one is this, is that the presence of God is with us. And you say, well, yeah, Nick, I know the presence of God is with us because isn't God present everywhere? All right, Nick, I know that that God's present with us when we gather as a church because his Holy Spirit is in me as an individual Christian. And yes, you're right, but the New Testament also uses the language of the gathered people of God being the temple of God. In 1 Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 3 says this, Do you not know? that you, which is a plural word, that you all, writing to a specific church, do you not know that you, Gospel City Church, are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you all, not just as individuals, but as a corporate body. When you come together, God says, I'm here. Probably one of the clearest ways in which we see this is Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus is talking to his disciples. And we'll talk about this in a few weeks because it lays out for us um, some really helpful things in regards to church discipline, which just to burst the the bubble, you don't need to be scared of church discipline. It is not this big, scary idea that maybe it's been made up to be for a lot of us. It is tender. It is full of grace. It is for our good. Okay, we'll we'll, we'll get there in a couple weeks. But in Matthew chapter 18, here's what Jesus says. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Now, this passage has been brutally misunderstood in a lot of ways. But here's fundamentally what it's saying. When the church gathers, Jesus says, I am present with you in a unique way. It is not to say I'm not present with you when you aren't gathering, but when my people come together in assembly, I am with them in a unique way. When we gather, it is as if Jesus is saying to us this morning, they're with me and I'm with them. In the same way that God in the Old Testament would say, they are my people and I am their God. Jesus says that to his gathered church. They're with me and I'm with them. When it says two or three are gathered, that's not just talking about two or three Christians in a coffee shop. This, get, this verse gets used to say, I don't need church. It's where two or three are gathered, Jesus is present. All right, let's just go hit up Starbucks, open our Bibles, church, baby. I don't need to show up on Sunday. Friends, that's way, that is so not what Jesus is saying. If that, were, if that were the case, then what what that, here this is, listen. <laughs> we'll talk about this in a few weeks, but this is the context of, of church discipline, okay? Of restoring someone or handing them over because they choose, refuse to repent and follow Jesus. And when two or three come together in agreement on Christ, in agreement on the gospel, and they gather in his name and they make a declaration of whether this person needs to be sent away from the church because they refuse to actually be in line with the gospel or they come back in. Jesus is saying, when you come together in agreement as a church on that, my authority and my presence rest with you. If this meant that any group of Christians that gathered in two or three at any coffee shop in the world and their decisions had that kind of authority, I mean, things would be flipping, flopping all over the place, right? Just based off, well, this group thinks this and this group thinks this and this group thinks this. He's talking about the gathered church, the assembly, and he's saying, my presence is with my assembled people in a unique way, and in addition to that, so is my authority. Christ's authority is not just over us, it's also in us as we gather, which means that the actions of the assembly are to represent Christ himself. The gathering speaks for him, much like an embassy or an ambassador would speak on behalf of another. He's among us and his authority is in us because we're gathered in unison, in agreement. I think probably the most practical picture of this in our world today is maybe something like the Supreme Court. Now, regardless of what you think of the Supreme Court, just listen to what I'm gonna say for a second. Listen to this description. The nine justices of the Supreme Court are in one sense just regular people like you and me. They walk on sidewalks. They shop at local grocery stores. You might run into them Across town, if you live in D.C. They're all influential individuals on their own, of course. But in the deepest sense, they are who they are as an assembly. When the Supreme Court justices meet as a court to make formal judgments, they take on a unique joint identity. Together, they wield an authority far greater than the sum of their part. Therefore, lawyers introduce their remarks not by saying, may it please the justices, but by saying, may it please the court. Singular. The Supreme Court is a corporate institution, one that demands on its nine, depends on its nine members convening in space and in time. In a similar way, God's designed the local church as a people who meet. It doesn't work in any other way. In the same way that the Supreme Court, when they come together, they hold a unique authority, it's true also of the gathered church. When the gathered church comes together, there is a unique authority, what Jesus says, to bind and to loose, to make declarations of this confession of Jesus is in line with the scriptures. Therefore, we can say, according to the scriptures, this person is a Christian. This person's sins are forgiven according to the Bible. Or on the opposite side, to loose, to say, no, this is not in line with what the scripture says. Therefore, as the gathered body of Christ, we can say this is not a genuine confession of faith. This person is not a Christian. This is so this rubs so against our individualistic minds as Americans. But this is what Jesus has set up, and the way in which the gathered church does this is through baptism, communion, and church discipline. In baptism, The gathered church is coming together to say, this person that stands before us is making a genuine profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, we affirm this person as a follower of Jesus and we welcome them into this assembly as a Christian. The gathered church is making an authoritative declaration of that that represents Jesus. It's not just some rando on the street that says, yeah, you're a Christian. No, the gathered people of God come together in agreement and in unison to say yes or no. And it's not based off our opinions, it's based off of the word of God. The same thing happens in communion, where we come together and we say, yes, come and take communion, those of who are followers of Jesus. Those who have been baptized into the faith, into the local body. Now let's take the ongoing sign of being members of that body. We do this as a group, not as individual. So what happens when we gather? The presence of Jesus is here. His authority is here. Another thing happens is we are unified together as a people when we gather. And we're unified in our mutual confession and agreement on the gospel. This is why churches have statements of faith. This is why as we move towards membership, you will be shown our statement of faith and say, are you in agreement with this? Because what it means is when we gather, we are mutually coming together and say, we agree on the gospel. We have unity in this. In the midst of all other kinds of diversity among us, we will be unified in this regard, that we are the redeemed people of God through the blood of Jesus. And this is primarily expressed in preaching. Right? In baptism and in communion also. But you come together here and you gather to hear the word and we are in agreement together about what the word is. I'm hopefully not up here saying things that every single one of us in this room are like, that's definitely not the gospel, but he must think it is, so whatever. Let him just think what he wants to think. No, we're here to be in unison on what the gospel is. And as we are, it unifies us and it edifies us and it sanctifies us and makes us more like Jesus, which is another thing that happens as we gather. We are sanctified. God has designed it that way. We're sanctified in a way that, in a kind of sanctification that only happens as we gather. Let me give you a couple of examples. Maybe on any given Sunday morning, you wake up discouraged and alone. You just feel down. You feel like you have no community, nobody that really cares about you, but you show up to gather with the people and you are met with encouragement from another brother and sister in Christ or you are met with another brother and sister in Christ coming up to you and sharing with you the good news from the word of God, and it encourages you. And you're sanctified, you're encouraged. Or maybe you woke up on a Sunday morning feeling worried and afraid from all that you experienced this week. Maybe you saw way too much of the news and now you're fearful of what's gonna happen in the world and in your city and what's gonna happen to the church and what's gonna happen to your bank account. But then as you gather with the people of God, you are reminded through the preaching of his word that Jesus Christ is king. And your faith is anchored. And you relax for a bit. And you trust more in Christ because you gathered. Or maybe you woke up and you've just been walking through a particular hardship or trial. Things are just really difficult in your life. But as you come into the assembly, you sing songs about who Jesus is and what he's done. And your heart is anchored in these truths as not only you sing, but you hear the voices of other people sing alongside you. Saying, no matter what I walk through, it is well with my soul. And our faith is stirred and we're made more like Christ. Or maybe this morning you walk in here and you have sin that's unconfessed. And you feel in the midst of conversation, in the midst of seeing the faces of others, in the midst of others asking you, how are you? You realize, like, I can't sit with this anymore. I need to confess this. And as you do, another brother and sister in Christ prays for you, and you experience what the New Testament says, confess your sins to one another and be healed. Or maybe you've just felt like your faith is really, really weak. Kind of teetering on, like, Is this stuff even real? But then you come to the assembly and you look around at faces and lives and people you know, and you say, oh, my faith is so struggling right now, but I look across the room and I see Sue is sitting right there. And she is singing her heart out even though she just lost her mom to cancer two weeks ago. Or I look across the room at Beth and I see, man, she is walking through such a hard time at work right now Her finances are all over the place and yet here she is affirming the truths of God's word as it's preached. I hear her saying, amen, yes. And I'm reminded, wow, look at how good God is in Beth's life. Or I see George. These are all fictional people, by the way. (laughs) I see George, like who's Beth? I need to meet Beth. You see George. And you know the suffering that he's walked through as he's dealing with a cancer diagnosis. And yet you see him, arms raised, screaming out in worship, loving his savior. And you are moved to recognize if George can worship through cancer, then so can I through any circumstances. Jesus is good. This stuff is true. I believe it, he's alive, he's here, I'm with his people. We believe this together and we are changed that doesn't happen when you sit on your couch and watch YouTube. It doesn't. See, God, God doesn't need your presence on a Sunday morning for him to be God. Jesus doesn't need you to show up. He's not dependent on you. Jesus doesn't need you to show up. But I do. You do. We do. We need each other. We need each other's voices. We need each other's presence. We need each other's encouragement. We need each other's faith and affirmation of the gospel. God has designed the gathering to be the main source of sustenance and fuel and shaping and growth for his people as they gather to hear the word, to affirm the word, to submit to the word, to recognize when we come here, we say God speaks here. Not because this auditorium is sacred. No, because God's assembled people are here. God speaks here. God moves here. God ministers here. God saves here, God heals here, God listens here, God reigns here, God rules here, God is here as we gather. So the question is, if this is God's design, why would we not prioritize the gathering? If this is God's heart and his design for us, why would we neglect the gathering? Here's my hope, church. This is my deep, deep, deep hope. My hope is that the assembly, the gathering, what we're doing right now, that the gathering becomes precious to you. Not just important, among other things, but that this time becomes precious. Precious. Because it's precious to Jesus. My hope is that it becomes the most precious rhythm of your week. My hope is that the gathering becomes the most protected and beloved time for you. Because it is to Jesus. He loves when his assembly assembles. He loves it. He loves it so much that he's designed all of eternity to be exactly that. This is not just a temporary thing we are engaged in. We are engaged in an eternal thing right now. This is like a foretaste, a preview of what's to come. So we can say, in all honesty, if we don't like assembling, what are we going to think about heaven? Heaven. Let me say something a little bit hard. The truth is, very practically, we will prioritize what we consider to be important. We will prioritize what we consider to be important. A lot of us have jobs in this room. We show up for our jobs. We might take a vacation. We might call in sick. But we ultimately eventually show up for our jobs why because we know how important it is to show up for work because we know the consequences if we don't show up for work I lose my job if I lose my job I lose my money if I lose my money I lose my shelter I lose my food I maybe lose my community my whole world unravels if I don't show up for work we prioritize what's important do we believe the gathering is important Do we believe that similarly things will unravel for us if we do not show up, if we do not engage, if we do not assemble with the assembly? When we don't prioritize the gathered church, what we're saying in all honesty is I don't really need it. What I need most is vacation, sleep, a night of fun and partying on Saturday, and a recovery on Sunday. What I really need to do is watch football. You're also saying the church doesn't really matter. Building up the body is not important to me. Ultimately, Jesus is not my king. That's the logical end of that posture. Hear me this morning. Please, please don't, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. Well, hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that if you ever miss a Sunday morning, pff, pathetic, not even a Christian. You probably hate Jesus and you hate all of us. That's not what I'm saying. I'm coming with Hebrews, Hebrews 10 to say, let us not neglect the gathering. To say that in positive voice, let us prioritize the gathering as much as we can unless we are prohibited Because we need it. Because Jesus is king. The question is, is is Jesus your king? Do you believe he shed his blood for you? Do you believe he's sufficient for you? Do you believe that he's invited you into his assembly? You know, every every birthday my wife comes to me at some point a couple weeks before and says, what do you want to do for your birthday? I never know what to say. So then she usually pivots and says, okay, well, well, who do you want to celebrate your birthday with? And I start thinking, okay, who, who do I want to personally invite to celebrate my birthday with? Who do, whose presence do I want to be around? And friends, when we think about church, when we think about the assembly, we need to recognize this, that everyone that is a part of God's church, the redeemed people of God, Jesus Christ himself has said, I want them in my assembly. I want them at my table. I want them not just in the local earthly assembly. I want them in the heavenly assembly for all of eternity. I don't want to go a moment without the presence of this person in my family, in my community, in my rule and reign. I want them specifically here. So much so that when Revelation 21 points us to the very future and says this, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. If Jesus has called you to faith, it's because he wants you there and he wants you here. What a privilege and what an honor.